All right, we're going to continue in our study in Philippians this morning. And so uh, if you've got a Bible, you can pull that out. You can follow along on Version. The great thing about Version is you can save all that stuff and you can view it later. Most of my notes will be on Version. Uh, not all of them will be, um, but most of them will be there that will be on the screen. So you're welcome to use that as well. Uh, the reason we're doing a digging deeper study is because it is crucial that you as a person, whether you are just interested in what does it mean to know Christ or whether you have committed your life to follow Christ, Bible study is not the kind of thing that we just kind of do because we don't have anything better to do. It's not just the church activity that we're supposed to do when we come to church, but instead, this is really the lifeblood of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In all of my life, I I remember... uh, Most every important lesson I've ever learned in Scripture has come from personal study, not by hearing a sermon, not by listening to a podcast, not by watching something on TV. Almost every major insight into Scripture has come through personal study. Now, that does not mean that it just came to me. There are lots of resources that we can use to study. But what ends up happening is if you rely on on your preaching time, if you rely on Sunday morning or podcasts that you listen to as your primary way of trying to know scripture and apply it to your life, you will get distracted or you will take one route that the speaker wants to take you on. And yet God in so many ways communicates us with where we are at life at that moment. Now you might be thinking, well, you're a pastor, so it's easier for you. I will tell you, this has been the case in my life since I became a follower of Jesus at the age of 15. This has been the the reality for me, and this is the reality that will be for you. I am not unique in that your greatest insight in hearing from God and understanding how God is working and learning who God is will come in your own personal study, not someone else telling you about theirs. So I encourage you to really get into this study. I encourage you to to really pursue what it looks like to know Christ. Because the truth is, as we, the more we begin to understand how God works, the more we realize we have no clue. Amen? And so God works in this incredible mystery around us. He works in ways that you and I can't possibly fathom. But he gives us glimpses of that. And he invites us, will you pursue me so that I can reveal the mystery to you. And so I encourage you that Bible study is all about the pursuit of the mystery of God. And I will tell you that there is no pursuit that is greater than this one. And it will never let you down. Because once you begin to see one of the, all the goodness that God has to give us. All that he has to share. And what it looks like to really know him. I'm just, I'm telling you, there's nothing better. And so I encourage you to really dig in. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it literally says this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So there's really no way to get a quick nugget and have this radical change in your life. It takes time and pursuit and deciding, I'm going to get in this. So I hope that you'll do that and you'll join this with us. Um, Philippians is such a great letter to study. I, I really love Philippians. It's so encouraging. And if you need encouragement, this is certainly a, a, a letter that you can do that. Um, as we talked about last week, I'm not going to go over all the details we went over last week as far as understanding the place and setting If you would like to see that or hear that, you can go online and click the listen link and you can listen to last week's sermon. But 
what I do want to do is continue to take you through our six basic questions. So our six basic questions that we've discussed and the ones that I'm going to encourage you, you don't have to just do six, but these six are crucial for every part of your Bible study in one fashion or another. You'll go about them in different ways. You may put them in different order, but these are the six questions that I'd encourage you in every Bible study that you will ever do is number one, context. Who is writing this letter? Who is Paul in this case? Who is Paul writing to? Because as we've already discussed If you are a teenager, you don't think your parents have a clue what the world is like. And as parents, you know your kids don't have a clue what the world is really like, right? And we're talking 20, 30 years difference maybe in age. And then scripture is thousands of years old. So we've got to understand the context. Can you go back to, let's go back to those six questions. What is Paul saying? Just literally, what is he saying? But we've got to understand not only who he's saying to, but why is he saying this? So we want to dig deeper in understanding why he's saying what he's saying. And then we get to really where the meat of it is. What is the transferable principle? So we want to understand what's happening at this time when he's writing this letter. And we want to determine what is that transferable principle that we can apply to our lives today, which is then the last question is how do we take that principle and how do we apply it to our lives? Now, what you're going to find is as we go through Scripture uh, when when you do some of the basic context work, who's he writing to? You know, who's writing it? What's the situation? What are the circumstances surrounding these events? You, you, you will find that you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time, right? You've kind of learned how to do that. It's like changing the brakes on your car. You figure out how to do it the first time. You make all the mistakes then, right? Because you never make a mistake again. Make all the mistakes there the first time and then... You've learned that. Now, you may have to remember a few things later. You may need a refresher, but you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. But really understanding the context is crucial to moving forward. For the rest of these, they are something that God will show you many different things. There are some principles that will jump out at the page at you, and then there are some that will will hit you unexpectedly. Many times as you begin to study scripture and you begin to pull in other teachings of other writers, especially the writings of Jesus himself or the sayings of Jesus. He didn't write them down as far as we know, but the sayings of Jesus. Whenever you begin to pull those together, your study will be enhanced even more because you begin to see all these different perspectives that speak into this one thing. So let's jump in. Let's keep moving because I've got a lot I want to share with you. Um, Paul's letter to the Philippians is full of encouragement. This was a church that he believes got it. He, they understood what was going on. And the thing that they had discovered is what does it look like to pick up your cross and follow Jesus? This is a church that discovered that. And so Paul wrote this epistle in such a way not to give them instructions necessarily, but just to let them know how he's doing and encourage them for the incredible things that they have been doing. If we're going to go through our six questions each week, who's writing the letter? Who, was, who is it? Paul. And if you read that first verse, you'll find that Paul is with Timothy. Timothy has a history with this church. Who is he writing it to? Believers at Philippi. I've already I put Chi up there. The believers at Philippi, right? It's a church that he had started on a previous missionary journey. And now where do we find Paul in the setting of the writing of Philippians? Do you remember? He's in prison. What we know about prison for him is at this time, Rome does not consider 
his crime of preaching the gospel to be that serious. They will. And in the future, they will take more drastic action. But for now, what we believe is that Paul was probably under house arrest and that he still had guards in the house. And what we're going to find in today's reading is that he had a lot of interaction with the guards. So I've got a few things I want to share with you, but the, the next basic question is what is Paul is saying? There's a real easy way to figure that out. We just read the text, all right? Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start today with verse 12. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed have made, excuse me, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim it out of love, knowing that I, excuse me, the former, I'll get it together here in a minute, guys. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So we read this section. Now, your Bible is going to be broken out into little headings, and you're going to find little headings, and one of those headings may be advancing the kingdom or advancing the gospel or something for this section. Paul did not write that in there any more than when you write a letter, you write a little heading for every part of your letter, right? Do you do that? I don't do that. If you do that and write it to me, I'm going to think it's kind of weird. Paul didn't do that. That was all added later. But those are sometimes good indicators of where we can break thoughts. The problem is, is we can't always use that to break the thought. Similarly, I don't write letters to people in that I'm going to give you a thought. I'm going to completely break. And the next thing I'm going to say has nothing to do with anything I've already said or anything I will say later. There's usually a coherent thought throughout. Again, this is why context is so important. And one of the reasons that preaching will never be able to replace your personal Bible study is because we are not going to be able to spend hours and hours and hours here. As much as I would love to, you won't stick around, right? I will, but you won't. And then eventually I'm going to leave too because I'm going to get tired of listening to myself. But instead, we take little pieces and then we talk about those little pieces. And the problem is we need to look at all of the context of that little piece. So this morning, while we're looking at this one piece, what is important is what has come before it and also what is going to come after it. So as we look at what Paul is saying Sometimes when we want to understand what is being said, we have to also recognize what is not being said. Let's look at just the first few verses. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Let's look at that again, and then we're going to hit these a little more specifically. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Take that in. What has happened to me. Now we have an idea of what has happened to Paul. And maybe for your life and for your study, you begin to place in that container what has happened to you. 
What are you going through right now? Paul is writing this letter saying, this is what I'm going through right now. You and I read this from a historical context because we know this has happened in the past. But for when it was written, it was happening right now. And so one way we can approach this is to begin to place ourselves in that position. And while we can't fully do that, it helps us to more humanize the writer and take in what he's saying. I want you to know that what has happened to me, not what I've chosen to do, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Take that in. What's happening here? When we initially read over Scripture, we just want to read what is happening. Let me get some details. Let me try to understand what is happening in this moment. Verse 14, it says, And most of the brothers, talking about other believers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, as we look at Paul's life, we know something has happened that he would not have chosen for himself. Has that ever happened to anybody in this room? A couple of you, the rest of you, everything's happened exactly the way you thought it would. Good, good. I've been doing life wrong. (laughs) Paul had something happen to him. We know what happened to him. And as we read through and as we try to understand the context of his life at this moment, we know that Paul's desire and his goal is to share the gospel with as many people as he can. And yet he has been put in prison where he can't travel, where he can't do the things he's good at, and where he's sequestered away from a public that he wants to get the gospel to. Look at what has happened to Paul. Now, Last week, I encouraged you that for one of your first study tools beyond just your basic Bible is a good study Bible. And I I brought some more up if you'd like to to look through those if you're interested. I know some of you actually picked up a study Bible this week, and I'm really glad you did that. A couple of the ones that we've discussed are the Life Application Bible, which is more of a how-do-you-apply-scripture. There are others that are more about the historical context of Scripture, The ESV study Bible is another really good one. A lot of you have the NIV study Bible. Those are all good. If you had a life application Bible and you read just those verses that I shared with you, this is what you could read in the notes. It says, how did Paul end up in chains in a Roman prison? While he was visiting Jerusalem, some Jews had him arrested for preaching the good news, but he appealed to Caesar to hear his case. You can go back and that gives you a reference. You can go read more about that. He was then escorted by soldiers to Rome where he was placed under house arrest while awaiting trial. Not a trial for breaking civil law, but for proclaiming the good news of Christ. At that time, the Roman authorities did not consider this to be a serious charge. A few years later, however, Rome would take a different view of Christianity and make every effort to stamp it out of existence. Paul's house arrest allowed him some degree of freedom. He could have visitors continue to preach and write letters such as this one. A brief record of Paul's time in Rome is found in Acts 28, 11 through 31. The palace guard referred to the elite troops housed in the emperor's palace. Now I read that to you to give you an idea of a little of the extra context you can get, even with simply having 
a study Bible. Those notes shouldn't replace your study, but they can add some depth to it and add some color to what you're studying. If Paul was like most people you know, though, let me ask you this. If Paul was dealing with something this difficult, if we're going to learn not as much from what is said, but what is not said, what are some of the things Paul is not saying here? What do you think? Just throw something out. What happened to him? He's not given a bunch of details. What else? What would you expect someone in this position to be saying? There he comes. Right, what? Lash out. Yes, complaining. What else? Break me out. Get me out of here. Okay. All right. I know who to call if I need help. All right. Yes, very good. Very good. All right. What else? What else would you expect someone in this position to be saying? Where's God? Where's God? Now, in the reality of life, how many of us find ourselves in a situation where something happened to us? And that is our response. See, one of the first things we see when we look at what Paul is saying is not necessarily what is he saying, but for us, knowing what life is like, Look at what he's not saying. And we can many times learn just as much from that. Paul's response is completely different from what a lot of us respond to situations that happen to us. In fact, one of the beautiful things of growing and knowing how Christ works and that he is active in your life is knowing that when something bad happens to you, it does not mean that you have to cave in. Instead, he demonstrates grace, he demonstrates hope, and he demonstrates purpose. So when we look at Paul's life here in prison, we can learn right away there is something different about Paul than the rest of us, right? It's one of the reasons that he's held up as a model. It's one of the reasons he says, follow my example. It's because he knows this is not what is normal nor natural. This is what happens when you begin to know Christ and you begin to follow him more readily. Most of us have that friend that lets us know every bad thing that happens in life, right? Hey, how you doing? How's your day? Oh, man, let me tell you. You know, we all have that friend. And we all hate getting that phone call, don't we? Oh, he's going to call. I do not have time to hear about all the bad things that happened to them today, right? We all have that friend. If you don't have that friend, you know what that means. You are that friend. No, I'm not going to say that you are that friend, but it is possible. What we find when we look at Paul is that what is Paul continually saying that is happening while he's in prison? What's going on? The gospel's going out. It's still happening. Now, as we looked last week, Paul started his missionary journeys in a very small circumference outside of Jerusalem. And each time he would spread a little farther and a little farther and a little farther. And Rome was one of the places he wanted to go. He didn't necessarily want to end up in Rome under arrest. But he wanted to end up there because he wanted the gospel to go to the center of society and culture. And that's the way he ended up there. 
And so what he's constantly saying is good things are happening. When you look through the letter of Philippians and you realize this is Paul's perhaps most encouraging, most positive, upbeat letter. And then you find out he wrote it in prison. You know something's happened to him. And when we begin to think about what is the transferable principle, we're not there yet. But when we begin to think about that, we can already begin thinking something is different for Paul. How do I have that? How do I experience that? How do I live through that even though right now my issue is not I'm, I'm in prison, but my issue is I hate my job. My issue is that I'm, I'm at odds with my spouse. My issue is I don't know how to help my kids get beyond the thing that they're dealing with. My issue is, is this is not the life I wanted. Whatever your issue is, whatever is happening to you at the moment, someone you loved is hurting you're, you're sick or someone you care about has gotten sick. I, I don't know what it is. But Paul responded with so much hope and faith that we can look at his words and say, this is what I should be doing too. If Paul was like most people, we'd be saying a lot of other things. But instead, what we find through Paul is that God often uses our own struggles to make an impact on others. And I want you to let that just soak in. God often uses your struggles to make an impact on others. Now, most people you talk to, their struggles dominate their thinking. But for the follower of Jesus, they recognize the struggle is meant for the glory of God and to share the gospel with others. I find over and over again talking with people that have gone through terrible things, some things they have willfully walked into other things were put on them without any choice of their own and they feel like that their life is ruined and wrecked because this thing has happened and over and over and it takes so long for a person who is grieving and who is hurting to get to this point i so many times will try to encourage them god is going to use your brokenness to help somebody else Not only is he going to heal you, you're going to heal others. But many times we are so focused on just ourselves and our own issues that we miss the beauty of what God is trying to do with the very struggle that you're going through. We sometimes think that it looks like walking through the meadows and the sound of music, singing lullabies whenever we are walking with Jesus. And yet more often it looks like being imprisoned and nailed to a cross. If that's where Jesus is. And that's what God is doing in their lives. He will often use our own struggles to make an impact on others. Paul changes the way he responds from frustration and anger to thankfulness. When was the last time you went through something you didn't want to be going through and you were thankful? Well, I got on the plane and I really wanted to sit and coach. And so they put me in first class. I mean, I really didn't want that. But I mean, it was pretty good, I guess. But really, when something bad happened, something bad happened and you were thankful for it. See, when we approach our lives with our eyes focused on ourselves, we never see what God wants to do. Because we're so busy looking at ourselves. But when our eyes change, we begin to focus on the one who can redeem anything. We begin to see the situation differently. We begin to think outside of ourselves and how can this be used for something bigger than just me? 
And unfortunately, that is not the natural state for the human mind to work. It would be nice if it were, but it's not. You have to grow to that point. And so as we read through this, if you do not know Christ, you're going to read this and go, what an idiot. I mean, he, Paul is clueless. He guy's in prison for crying out loud. Why does he even care about God? God obviously doesn't care about him. And that's one of the reasons that it is so crucial to know Christ in order to understand the teachings that are found in Scripture. It is so crucial to understand how he works within us and to have the Holy Spirit speaking through us for us to be able to understand all of those pieces together. It's crucial to have a relationship with Christ. God has chosen to use Paul's imprisonment to reach a group of people that likely he would never have been able to reach. The whole guard. Some of you have different translations, palace guard, imperial guard, different ways of saying the same thing. What he's saying is the premium group of guards in the city. Those that would have protected the governor, those that would have protected the ruling classes, those that would have been the most highly trained and most likely the hardest of hearts. The gospel is spreading through that entire group of the guard. Not only is it going to go to, their, to the guard, it's going to extend to their families. And Paul is praising God for this. Paul is thankful for this. Paul is talking to this church that has been a part of his ministry saying, you should be excited about what's happening here because the gospel is going to this group and I would never have been able to reach any other way. If you have an ESV study Bible for verse 12, this is what it would tell you if you got a little extra depth in your study. It says the word Paul uses for the advance of the gospel is the same word he uses in verse 25 for the Philippians' progress in faith. Christians should seek to advance God's kingdom rather than dwelling on past or present problems. Now, right there is worth the price of admission to be here, right? Christians should seek to advance God's kingdom rather than dwelling on past or present problems. If you had a life application Bible, it would say this, in the past... Missionaries, those who spread the good news, boarded ships to go to foreign lands and did not expect to see their homeland shores again. Their goodbyes were final in terms of earth time. There was no turning back. While air travel, email, and other technologies have made worldwide separation much easier, pioneering with the good news still requires a high sacrifice. Paul's passion was for others to discover the good news of eternal life through Jesus Christ, no matter what the cost would be. Passing through frontiers of spiritual darkness still requires pioneers today. People who will reach neglected people or new people groups, pray for missionaries, support them, and join them. Paul, there was a high price he was willing to pay. And he was excited about what God was doing in the midst of it. See, as we look around our world with so much pain and so much heartache, with so much struggle that seems meaningless, not only can God redeem us from our sin, God can redeem us from all that evil. God can bring us up out of all of that pain, all of that hate. God can do that. That is one of the beautiful things of being reborn through Jesus Christ. And on those days that you are arrested... And you're not feeling very missionary-ish. 
It is your personal Bible study that reminds you what is really happening. This is why it's so crucial to continue studying regularly, not to just do it every now and again, not to just wait till Sunday mornings. Because on that day that you're arrested, there won't be a sermon to listen to. On that day you get bad news, there won't be a sermon to make it feel better. On the day that everything falls apart and it's just you and God, will you have developed the routine opportunities to hear from him so that he can carry you through them? See, so many times I I talk to people who regularly attend church and who who would regularly wear the fact that they're a Christian on their sleep, and they are so beat down and so just discouraged. And they look at all the bad things and they wonder, what have I done to God? Why won't God answer my prayer? And I can almost guarantee, not in every circumstance, there are some things that happen that would take anyone, Paul included, and it would push them to the sidelines and they would take extra care from Christ to deal with them. But for the most part, what I know in most of those situations is they are not spending regular time in God's Word. Not because it's all about memorizing Scripture, but because it's about hearing from God regularly. This is just an introduction. Scripture is just an introduction to hearing what God wants to say to you. It's just those first few words that help us take those baby steps until you begin to see God at work around you in so many other miraculous ways. It's really an incredible opportunity to continue to do that. So those verses 12 through 14, we see the gospels expanding. We see Paul's response is very different. Let's, let's look at the next few verses. We're still on that basic question of what is Paul saying? Verse 15, it says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Now he's following up with his previous thought or his previous idea in that the gospel's going out even while I'm here in prison. And he's communicating with this church, just letting them know kind of what's happening. Some preach Christ from envy and rivalry. What? Now, if you've read Philippians before, you have a tendency to just jump right over it. But if you haven't, sorry, my mic is going crazy on me this morning. But if you haven't, then you read each of these words differently and you read them with more intensity. Some preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Can you do that? Is it possible to preach Christ from envy and rivalry? What does he mean by he's preaching? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now, if we just read over this, Paul's talking about two different groups of people. They've got one group of people preaching Christ that are doomed because they've got an issue with Paul or they want to steal some of his thunder. We've got another group of people who are just preaching Christ because they just want to preach Christ. They just want people to know this wonderful thing they've experienced. And what Paul is literally saying is, I don't really care what their motive is. What's most important is that the gospel is going out. I'm going to tell you, it takes you a great amount of time spending with Christ to come to this place. 
To be able to say, no matter what's happening in my world, no matter what's happening in my life, no matter what, it doesn't matter. What's important is that the gospel is going out. Paul's in prison. Paul could be doing something else. Paul doesn't know how this is all going to end. But what is most important is that the gospel is going out. How many times in our lives do we approach what is happening from a completely different perspective? Now, let me read to you, if we were to read those same verses out of the message. This is how the message puts it. Remember, there's a difference between translations and interpretations. Translations take the original languages and they try to translate it as closely as they can to the meaning in current language. An interpretation takes other, lang- or takes other translations and tries to make them make more sense. That's what the message is. And it says, It's true that some here preach Christ because with me out of the way, they think they'll step right into the spotlight. I love that. Preachers really like that verse. Not really, but... They think they'll step right into the spotlight. But the others do it with the best heart in the world. One group is motivated by pure love, knowing that I am here defending the message, wanting to help. The others know that I'm out of the picture, are merely greedy, hoping to get something out of it for themselves. Their motives are bad. They see me as their competition. And so the worse it goes for me, the better they think for them. So how am I to respond? I've decided that I really don't care about their motives, whether mixed, bad, or indifferent. Every time one of them opens his mouth, Christ is proclaimed. So I just cheer them on. I love that. And I love reading passages through the message. It's never the first place I go, but I love reading the way that it is expressed through the message. So lots of different study tools can give you different understandings of what's happening and what's being said. The truth for us as we read through this, what is he saying? Is that many Christians deal with the constant temptation to make life about themselves instead of about others. As we begin to read through and begin to understand the text, we begin to move from the basic question of what is he saying to why is he saying it. Paul continually preached because he believed it was urgent for the lost to be saved even if it required for him to sacrifice something in his life or his life. He knew that the gospel had to go out. I'm going to tell you when I read this, it's important what Paul is saying. It's also important what he's not saying. And as we look through this process in which he's going through all of his struggles, what we find is that he over and over again is showing us Paul does not believe that it is about him. I will tell you that one of your greatest struggles, if not your greatest struggle, living especially in America, is going to be believing that this life is not about you. Every message you get tells you your life is about you. Every advertisement you see is telling you your life is about you. It's constantly bombarded into us. And some of the freedoms that we have and some of the freedoms that we enjoy, it is so difficult for us to understand the hardship that other people go through when we ourselves don't go through those hardships. And when you regularly are not going through hardships requiring you to fight for your life, 
you will constantly fall back to the natural position of life is all about me. And Paul never went there. At least he never went there after his conversion. Certainly lived his life that way before and demonstrated what it can look like to be a devout religious person still believing it was about him. It's the difference in being a giver or a taker. And the truth is in the room, if you are a giver, you know the difference between a giver and a taker. If you're in the room and you're not a giver, you know there's a difference, but you don't really see the difference. Because takers regularly see the world through the eyes that are focused on themselves. They don't realize how much other people give and how much they take in and yet don't give out themselves. Paul saw that his role was to be a giver. He saw that it was important for him to continually give to others. He continually gave to the people that were around him. He continually gave encouragement to others. He continually gave to God. It was his focus to give God the glory rather than for him to get the personal glory. Within the church, we see this where groups of people that follow Christ continue to give and serve. And then people will come in who want to receive. And while we all have to receive at some level in some point, what Paul demonstrates is that you aren't truly following the example of Christ until you've chosen to give rather than receive. You've chosen to give rather than take. You've chosen to invest rather than to continue to withdraw. It's a completely different way of seeing the world. Givers see the world in different ways ways they see it through different eyes they look at people and understand them in different ways they look at you a giver looks at a person and analyzes what's going on with this person a taker looks at an individual and tries to figure out what this person has that they can give to them our eyes are always on themselves now for those of us who like to think that we're always givers we're not And for those that we like to pin the tail on that they're always a taker, they're not either. But it is a constant struggle that we have to deal with, both in the church, in the world, and in our own skin. As we look at Paul's talking about these two different groups, to be be honest, this is one of those passages that I, I can relate with. And I struggle with. I I certainly am not in Paul's position. I don't have people trying to ride my coattails. However, I can certainly relate to those preaching the gospel for a reason other than sharing the gospel. We see it so many different ways. Others will preach the gospel for personal gain without concern for those who they are preaching to. And some of the ways we see that are where the gospel goes out saying, God will give you everything you want. And that sounds all good. That's a good God. That's the kind of God I want. If you'll just have faith, if you will pray for this thing, God will give it to you. The problem is that is not what Scripture says. Not only is it not what Scripture says, that is not the experience of all the people we are following the example of in Scripture. Paul himself said, I have prayed for this thing that is a thorn in my side over and over again, and God did not take it away. And yet we have people that will fill tithing buckets, saying that if you'll just give me money, God will answer your prayer. 
And what we end up having are a group of people that are coming into the church that are not learning what the real gospel is. And when that happens, they end up leaving discouraged, maybe never to return. We see that in great egos. We see that in some of the greatest communicators and business builders who have built huge churches and then buy massive homes and boats and vacation places all over the world while small, small church pastors feel that they have done nothing for the gospel and that they are failures. Yet that is not what Paul teaches us. What Paul teaches us is that it is not about gain for ourselves. It is about helping others. There are so many issues in this that we could unpack. So many issues that pastors themselves need to deal with this, talking about egos and being in the spotlight. But the truth is, is the very thing that makes them struggle makes us all struggle. We all have those same problems, those same temptations. So why is Paul saying all of this? Let's move to our next basic question because you don't want to be here all day. Why is Paul saying this? Paul knew that the church in Philippi were fellow givers. That's why he's writing the letter. Because as we will read later, if you read through the whole letter, we're going to find that while Paul's in prison, they sent him lots of aid while he's sitting there. We're going to pick up into that in the next couple of weeks. They sent him a lot of aid, actually sent people from the church to travel to Rome in order to care for him. Paphroditus is a story that is just so rich in mercy and grace. And as we read through, we find out that he got very sick. And he also wanted them to let let the church in Philippi know what's going on with him. He's going to be fine. He's going to go home. But Paul knew that church in Philippi were fellow givers. That was the idea behind why he was saying what he was saying. Paul believed that his ability to give to others was a calling. Now, here's what I know about givers. Givers love to give, but they also hate to be taken advantage of. Givers look for opportunities to give to others. And here's the thing. If you will accept within your life the mindset that you are meant to be a giver, that this is what God wants for you and for the way that you live your life, you are going to be taken advantage of. It's going to happen. If your response is frustration and anger, you will stop being a giver. That is going to happen. If you come into a church community as a giver, you're going to find even within church communities, there are givers and there are takers. There are those that are constantly trying to help, constantly trying to serve, constantly putting themselves secondary to others. And you're going to find others that are constantly wanting others to put themselves second for them. You're going to find that and you're going to get frustrated and you're going to want to quit giving because givers don't like to be taken advantage of. But at the end of the day, what Paul knew was even though these folks were trying to take advantage of him, giving was a calling from God himself. It is so crucial if you're going to follow the example of Paul that you are not giving and serving for the benefit of the praise, but you're doing it because you know God has called you to be a giver. At the point that you change your mindset, I'm not, I'm not serving for you. I'm serving for God. It changes the way you will respond. 
There's a wonderful way to see the world when you recognize God not only sees your service, He not only sees your gift, but He is very pleased with you that you have chosen to give. If no one that you're giving to recognizes it, God does. And that changes the way we view our service. Paul knew that they were givers. Paul believed that his ability to give was a high calling. And Paul saw his sacrifices immaterial to the call to share the gospel. The call to share the gospel is so much greater than any sacrifice you and I will go through. It is so much bigger. It is so much better. So what is the transferable principle? There's actually several that we can pull out of this. What is the transferable principle? This is the one that I would leave you with. Once we have received the authentic gospel... We are called to give up our old way of living life to demonstrate and share the gospel with others. The gospel, the high calling of sharing the gospel is the thing that must become the primary goal of a follower of Jesus' life. Now, Paul actually had an incredible experience with Jesus. Jesus not only appeared to him after he had died and ascended to heaven, but he struck him blind until another believer spoke and ministered to him, and his sight came back. I would say if most of us had that experience, we would probably be more devoted followers of Jesus. Amen? That didn't happen to me. For Paul, he had such a radical understanding of Jesus that he could get to this point. Now, if you're a new believer, you're going to read some of this, you're going to go, that's just, that's just nuts. I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, that's not the way I want to live my life. That's, that's, I don't know about that. The beautiful thing is that God in his grace and mercy allows us to grow into something, right? And all he asks us to do is to pursue him. As we pursue him, he begins to change that in us. See, one of the things that we can so easily get wrong is that we believe to be a good Christian, we have to do all the right things. And if that's true, then the gospel does not exist. It is not good news. We have got to be better people. Therefore, it's by our works. But instead, the gospel is about grace. And if the gospel is about grace, then we have to pursue him. But we don't have to be the perfect Christian. As we pursue him, he changes what our desires are. And as we grow deeper and as we grow farther, we desire to know more. We read about the, about the gospel in Scripture. We read about it as the pearl of great price. We find it the field with great, that's great value that has treasure buried there. It is that thing that makes life worth living. It is the most precious thing that we can have. And it is a calling that will cause us to become new creations in the process. To share this incredible life-giving gospel with others. Finally, how do we apply this principle to our lives today? Well, this is where God speaks through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to share with you some of the things that I have. But I'm going to tell you, as your own study, God can bring many different ways for you to apply this to your own life. I'll give you some, but in your own personal study, relying on the Holy Spirit, he'll give you more. Number one, one thing we can do to apply this, it may be time to reframe our own assessment of our lives. It may be time to look at ourselves differently. It may be time to look at our sacrifices. It may be time to look at what we have differently. It may be time to look at our service differently differently and it may be time to reimagine the difference between a blessing and a cursing paul 
could have looked as someone who was cursed, but he saw it as a blessing. Look at what was happening. These lives are being changed. Second thing you can do to apply this. We have to evaluate what our own true motives are. What am I really motivated by? You know, you can go and to someone and talk to someone. You can come to me. You can come to a church or go to work or talk to your friends or talk to your family and put on whatever air you want to. At the end of the day, Jesus sees through all that. And all those little games we play with each other don't matter. Sometimes we just have to evaluate what our true motives are. Is this about my glory? Is this about God's glory? Am I a user of people? Am I a giver of people? Am I more focused on what I'm getting? Or am I more focused on what I have to invest in others? Maybe time to reassess our lives. Third, the gospel must influence everything we do. It's got to be on our minds. It's got to be on our hearts. When we have relationships with people, we've got to be thinking about sharing the gospel with others. A fourth thing, contentment is found when we align our lives with the mystery of God's work in us. I laugh because this is where I'm living life right now. There are a lot of things I'm content in life. You'll find if you know me, I, I don't get real content real easy. There's always, I've always got stuff to do. I'm always got another thing to accomplish. I, I'm driven for many different things. Contentment yet is still what I seek. What I have found and what I continue to find in my own growth and in my own relationship with Christ and in other people coming alongside of me and helping me to see this is that contentment is found when we align our lives with the mystery of God's work in us. It is a mystery. But when you begin to see God work in your life, contentment begins to flow into your life. Because we begin to see that the most valuable thing we can have has been given to us freely. The most wonderful relationship we can have, even if all our other relationships are broken, the one that we have with Christ is beautiful. Contentment can come flooding in when we begin to see the world the way he wants us to see it. His ways are so much higher than our ways. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. And when we get a glimpse, it will result in peace and contentment. And the fifth thing, in everything, another way to apply again, these are just five that I'm, I'm bringing before you. There are others that God will speak specifically to your circumstances as you study. But in everything, be a giver. In everything, be a giver. What are you going to lose by being a giver? See, we perceive that if I give away, I won't have any more. That's why we don't give. I only have so much time. If I give you that time, I won't have that time for me. If I give you these tools that I'm using to benefit myself, then you're going to have what I have and I won't feel better about my life. I think I'll hang on to that. What are we really losing by being a giver? What I've found is that the more we give, the more we receive ourselves. I told you before, if you know a giver, you love being around that person. I love being around givers. I love it. And you, re- you usually cannot find out who the true givers are. You've got to look for them. Because true givers are not giving because they want recognition. They're giving because... They feel that this is a part of who they are. And we love being around givers. Givers are not just givers 
in their time. They're not just givers financially, but they give in so many other ways. They give in grace when you mess up. They give in forgiveness when you wrong them. They give in encouragement when you are down. They give in encouragement when they are down. Givers give. Givers praise others when they see that they've done something worthy of praise. Takers look for others to praise them for whatever they've given. But givers give praise regularly. They encourage and they say, you have done a good job. Givers look around and they see a person that is struggling and they say, that person needs help. And they don't say, that person needs help. Instead, they help. There's a difference. There's so many people in life who go through pointing out problems. But givers become solutions to those problems. So I would encourage you, as you read through this study, those are some of the things that I've pulled away. Some of those are because those are where I'm living life right now and some things that I'm studying and some things that I'm growing. As you, as a follower of Jesus, with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, he may apply this passage in some unforeseen way in your life. That is the beauty of personal study. I encourage you to go through and read this this week, to go through and really pray about, God, what do you want me to take from this? The last two things I'm going to share with you are a question and a thought. Question, where can you communicate the gospel through being a giver in your current circumstances? Right now where you're at. How can you communicate the gospel by being a giver in your current circumstances? Does that mean just giving grace when you feel like you want to explode? Does that look like walking alongside of somebody and helping them when they've gotten themselves in a bind? What does it look like? How can you communicate the gospel through being a giver in your current circumstances? And finally, I would leave you with this. God can use you to further the gospel no matter what circumstance you find yourself in. No matter how broken you are, no matter how hurt you are, no no matter how discouraged and disappointed you are, God is so big and God is so powerful and God is so graceful that no matter where you find yourself, God can use you. You'll never disqualify yourself from being able to be used by God. And you'll never screw up so much that God does not welcome you back and do something amazing with your life. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I pray that in this room, those that are struggling this morning, having purpose and knowing that what they are doing matters, I pray that you would help them to see the way that you are working in their life. Father, I pray for those in this room that are givers. And I'm just so thankful for them. They have truly understood what it means to receive the gospel and to give away what you have given them, to pick up their cross, to follow you. Father, I thank you for the sacrifices that are made every day, every week by those that are in this room. Sacrifices to serve, sacrifices to give financially, to give praise, to give encouragement. Father, I pray that you would continue to encourage them, that you see their gift, you see their service. And you are very pleased. Father, I pray for those in the room that are so discouraged at this moment. They're struggling to give. They're struggling to see that they have something to give. Instead, they've been locked in this battle to get as much as they can. And they don't know how to break out of it. I pray that you would open their eyes to the opportunities to help others around them. 
Father, let us be like Paul, that no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, we are able to see your hand at work. And no matter what struggles we have to go through, Father, that we have the opportunity to be used by you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.